The Colorado Business Roundtable unapologetically tells the story that business is a force for good in our community, featuring conversations with thought leaders from academia, business, community, and government. Welcome to A Seat at the Table with Debbie Brown. Welcome to A Seat at the Table with Debbie Brown. On our podcast, we welcome thought leaders from academia, business, community, and government to discuss pressing, pertinent business issues of the day. Our belief is that when business succeeds, people succeed and Colorado succeeds. Today, we're talking about one of my favorite issues, which is workforce, in particular, higher ed, and the intersection of what this critical issue holds for us here, not only as private sector leaders, but knowing that when we work together, we typically come up with better policy and collaboration. To the show today, I'm excited to welcome Dr. Andy Feinstein, who is the 13th president of the University of Northern Colorado. Andy has worked tirelessly to ensure that UNC is well-positioned for future success. His leadership has included uh, financial capacity building, strategic planning, leveraging data, and also launching the College of Osteopathic Medicine for UNC. Welcome to the show, Andy. How are you today? I'm doing great, Debbie. Thank you so much for having us on the show. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. I'm excited about sharing you know, what's happening at, at UNC. Yeah, absolutely. I have been too. And, and today, instead of just one guest, we're honored to have two and excited to also welcome to the conversation Dr. Beth Longenecker, uh, the founding dean of the College of Osteopathic Medicine at UNC. I'm reading a little bit about um, your bio, Beth, as a physician and also experience in higher ed. Uh, although you Colorado for quite some time, it's my first time, well, not quite some time, I think you said 10 months, it's my first time meeting you and, and welcoming you as well. So welcome, Beth, to the conversation. Thank you. It's a pleasure to meet you, and I'm looking forward to having a conversation about the healthcare needs in Colorado and what we can do to address them. That sounds great. Well, we typically start off because uh, folks who listen to our show tend to be executives from, as I mentioned at the start, academia, business, community, and government, but they might not know what you both are doing in UNC. You're not in the heart of, you know, Denver City Central. Tell me more about your journey and what brought you here today. I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, grew up in San Diego, and uh, have a couple of degrees from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, where originally I wanted to work in the hospitality management industry, also loved technology. I uh, have a PhD from Penn State University, where I was an academic computing fellow, designed simulation software modeling for the hospitality industry. And then was a faculty member back at my alma mater, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, for about uh, eight years, uh, became a department chair of food and beverage management and associate dean at the college, and then went on to be a dean uh, at the Collins College of Hospitality Management at Cal Poly Pomona in California, and then a provost and senior vice president at San Jose State University before coming here to UNC in 2018. And I've been president now for just about five years here at UNC. Well, I, see, I learned already something new about you. I think, you know, the next event I want to plan. You might have a special back uh, for... <laughs> I, I just sent out invitations for a Cinco de Mayo party. I might have needed some consulting from you I on that. I love to still cook and, and enjoy very much. It's something that calms me and brings uh, great joy to my life and my family's life is cooking. Wow. I, that's, that's always fun to know. I actually like to entertain, but I don't cook, so that's not a good combination, but... <laughs> well, fun. Beth, um, tell us tell us more about you and welcome to Colorado and excited to hear about your journey and, and what brought you to UNC. Well, thanks and thanks for the welcome. 
Um, I have some friends who joke about me being a genetic deal. My father was an osteopathic physician. I grew up in rural Pennsylvania. He was the town doctor. We were about 25 miles from the nearest hospital, so I got a chance to really firsthand see what the impact is that a physician can have in a rural community. I thought about being a doctor for a while when I was growing up and decided to do a tangent from one off to school to study music. My degrees in musicology with a minor in piano and heart support performance. And uh, when I got to be a junior in college, you know that medicine thing, that kind of still is calling. So I took some pre-med courses and um, graduated and matriculated in the medical school at Ohio University. I went to the Ohio University College of Osteopathic Medicine. Um, and again, entered that thinking, going to join my dad in practice. I'm going to go out and be a family med doc in rural, rural Pennsylvania. Realized I'm medical care. So I went to Newark, New Jersey and studied emergency medicine for my residency program. Uh, then uh, was actually talking to my faculty at that program and they're like, you should be a teacher. Don't just go work in the ER, you need to teach. So I joined a faculty in the Bronx. I taught emergency medicine residents and became the residency program director at St. Barnabas in the South Bronx. If anyone ever watches the TV show called Bronx 911, that's where I work. From the Bronx down to Miami to take over a residency that had lost the program director and uh, worked with them to achieve you know, some really great um, results in accreditation. And then at that time was realizing that I love to teach and I'm a good teacher, but doctors don't know how to teach. We were never taught how to teach. So I ended up doing two teaching fellowships. One's an osteopathic fellowship called the Costin Institute, and then I did the Harvard Macy's Fellowship, and then decided to go all in and got my master's in medical education. I was talking with some of my mentors as a residency program director to see what's your next step. They said, go to medical schools. So maybe you should work in a medical school. So I moved to Mississippi. They were starting a new osteopathic college at William Carey University, Small Baptist University in Hattiesburg. And I joined the team with their first class of students and helped to create all of the rotations and the opportunities for hands-on learning. Followed my mentor up to Chicago to work for her as an associate dean and then went back to my alma mater as the campus dean for the Athens campus for the Ohio Osteopath Medical School, Ohio University. Um, and then I was there when this opportunity came up. And the chance to actually. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. Uh, uh, yeah. Another public medical school, an osteopathic medical school in a public university was really attractive. So I've been here now for about 10 months. I'd say you can see, Debbie, by this incredible pedigree that Beth brings, we were so excited about her coming to UNC and joining us in this project. Well, and let's just dive into that. First of all, Beth, I'd love to hear more about. You know, I don't know if I'm the only person in Colorado who doesn't really understand what osteopathic medicine is, but it might be fun to just sort of level set, right? Uh, I know what palliative, I, I'm learning a lot of words because I have elderly parents, but I don't necessarily am familiar with osteopathic medicine. Love to know about that. And then we'll pivot to you, Andy, on, on the project. Well, you know, osteopathic medicine actually was started by an MD, and most people don't realize that. Back in the late 1800s, he was an MD who had been a Civil War surgeon. Um, who was having some difficulties with the way medicine was practiced in the day. And his tenets were that the, the patient is a unit, and that unit is your mind, body, and spirit. And anything that impacts any of those three impacts your well-being. That structure and function of the body are interrelated. 
and that the body has the ability to heal itself, and any doctor who's going to treat a patient needs to take all that into account. So DOs from way back are more holistic patient-centered, and we're seeing a trend now in the MD world where MDs are starting with patient-centered care and that more holistic approach, but DOs were the original holistic medicine physicians with primary care and preventative medicine as their, their standards. We still see a little bit of a difference, but again, as I'm seeing, we're, we're seeing more, more of the MDs become more holistic in their approach as well, which is actually using their hands in treating osteopathic structural lesions to help improve function. Okay, yeah, that helps a lot. So, so back to you, Andy, tell us about the launch of the new College of Osteopathic Medicine for UNC. Sure. So it started upon my arrival at UNC in 2018. I had a conversation with my predecessor, and there was discussion about the possibility of building a medical college here. And at the time, it just wasn't right for the university. I don't think we had the community support and the campus support. But it occurred about a, two years ago in conversations with both of our health healthcare systems in Greeley, Banner and UC Health and kind of understanding a little bit more about what the needs are in Colorado for healthcare professionals, and also meeting with a number of our donors. And it was clear to me that there was uh, excitement about this opportunity. And we conducted a pretty thorough feasibility study, a needs assessment. We looked at economic impact in Greeley and Wealth County in Northern Colorado. We went and toured, visited other uh, osteopathic medical colleges across the country. And in hearing from a number of experts, realized that this, this can be a reality here. Uh, we spent time, as you heard from Beth, uh, doing a pretty comprehensive national search for our founding dean. We secured about $7 million in initial funding to kind of support the first couple of years of uh, operations. And we've been working pretty closely with uh, COCA, which is the Commission on Osteopathic College Accreditation on the process by which we, be we can become fully accredited for a medical college at UNC. We had to go through some uh, work with the state in actually changing laws, allowing UNC to offer a medical age education here, and that occurred last March. We've been working very closely with the state uh, on next steps in supporting the program here, as well as uh, local uh, community members, uh, foundations, and the medical community in making this a reality. We hope to have what's called our white coat ceremony or our first class of students in the fall of 2026. Yeah, that's so exciting. Uh, you touched on it a little bit, but how the this fit within UNC's strategic vision uh, for the future? And then I'm curious too how it aligns with what else is happening in the region. Uh, you, were, you were talking about market needs, market analysis, but give me a little more sense of that. Yeah, I can start with the strategic planning work and maybe Beth can talk about how it aligns with the healthcare. So again, going back to 2018, we went through a pretty thorough strategic planning process on this campus. We involved students, faculty, staff, external constituents, and label it uh, rowing not drifting 2030. We're in our second phase of it's a five, it's a five phase 10 year uh, process. We're in our second phase and we have five vision elements. One is students first. Another is empower inclusivity, enhance and invest, innovate and create and connect and celebrate. And in this second phase, we really focused on our faculty compensation plans. We're working on becoming a Hispanic serving institution. We're up over 25% of our student population is now Latinx or Hispanic. And we also started looking at what is the kind of evolving needs of our community from an educational perspective. And we could see clearly in the state of Colorado that there is a need for expanding offerings in health sciences. 
And that coupled with, you know, hearing from our local healthcare providers, that's how we kind of align our strategic planning work with the need to expand uh, in healthcare. And maybe Beth can talk a little bit about, you know, what are the needs in, in healthcare in, in Well County and, and in Colorado that might give you a better sense of why we're addressing yeah. That would be great, Beth, because I think about not only Weld County, Northern Colorado, you know, the impact that you're going to have in the region, a multi-state region, I suspect will be pretty powerful. So give us a sense of your plans in that respect, Beth. You know, if you look at Colorado overall, we're only meeting less than 35% of our positions in the statewide. So there's a definite need for, for physicians in the state. If you look at the federal designations of primary care underserved areas, only three counties are completely served. All the rest of the state has sections where you don't have enough adequate primary care physicians or primary care coverage for patients. So there's a definite need, and there's only two other medical schools in the state. There's UC Andrews, and then there's Rocky Vista, which is a private osteopathic school. And there's no way they can create enough physicians to meet the need within the state. The other thing, too, is if you look at the demographics of practicing physicians, it doesn't match the current population. Um, if you're looking at uh, all practicing physicians, less than 5% are African-American, less than 6% are Latinx or Hispanic. So there's a real disconnect of the physicians who are taking care of our broader populations. For example, talking with the folks at Sunrise Community Health, they only have two Latinx physicians and their patient population is 63% Hispanic. So I think UNC is uniquely poised at to really make an impact because when you do look at our undergraduate population here, 41% are first generation students. Those are students who no one in their family has ever gone to college, much less achieved a degree. 86% um, of the students are from Colorado. And with the Hispanic serving institution designation, over 23% of our undergraduates are Hispanic. So I think we're in a really good position to leverage those students coming through into our medical program and help to really diversify the, the physician workforce in the state. And if you look at things from an economic impact, Colorado right now is one of the fastest growing states in the U.S. Greeley right now is the fourth most rapidly growing metropolitan statistical area in the entire U.S. Gosh, I wouldn't have thought that. That, that is amazing. I know when we have, <laughs> yeah, changes in the energy sector might, might affect that up and down depending on that boom, but that's exciting. The 25 and 27 year olds who often come with families. And that's going to be a huge economic driver for the region and for the community. On top of that, if you think long term, physician economics, if you look at the American Medical Association data for Colorado, a single physician supports 13.6 jobs in Colorado. Oh, that's over a million in wages and benefits. And they provide a tax base of about 89000 per year for local and state taxes. So if we can create a pipeline for more physicians to stay in Colorado and to help pay, take care of our, our population and be there so that you have access to health care, but B, it's also a big economic priority. Beth, one other thing you could touch on is just the opportunities in rural health mm -hmm. and how we are so well positioned at UNC to address the needs of our rural communities when it comes to healthcare as well. When we talk about um, those underserved areas, the three counties that actually are fully served are like Boulder, Denver. You know, so we're definitely seeing a big disconnect in access to healthcare in rural communities. We're going to be having our rotations throughout the state. We're talking to folks out in Sterling, folks down in Durango, folks in Grand Junction to set up these rural 
rotation for our students so they can actually see what it's like to work in those communities and become part of that community. That makes them want to come back to those regions. We're creating pipeline programming back to the fifth grade to go out and talk to students in fifth grade about what does it mean to be the town doctor and come back and take care of your, your child and be that town doctor. Um, we're working with our School of Nursing as well because there is a need for nurses in those communities. So how do we create this healthcare pipeline that can actually generate students who want to stay in the state? One of the other things we're looking at is creating graduate medical education or residency programs. If I up in Colorado, I've got a medical school in Colorado, and I complete a residency program in Colorado, 79% of those students will stay in Colorado. Wow, that's good news for people like me getting older and needing good physicians ready to. <laughs> Andy, I think what's neat about this is it really puts UNC on the map with this really specific, unique program that not only generates, um, you know, workforce for a growing need, but also the economic impact as well. Um, give us a sense of, of what else you have planned for UNC, just to pivot a little bit, go back to big picture. We didn't cover that at the beginning. What else do you want people to know about what's happening um, at UNC? The big picture are the things we're focusing on is student success. Students first is kind of the, the landmark, the focus point of our planning work. And it really means that we are addressing the needs of our student community to ensure that they're successful beyond college. Something that we've been focusing on now for, for five years. And it's had significant improvements. We've seen increases in graduation and retention rates. We have new degree programs in technology and data analytics. We're evolving our performing arts and visual arts programs as well. So really understanding what students' needs are and how they can be successful when they graduate and be productive members of of the community. Yeah, that's so important. I mean, uh, when we think about workforce issues, sometimes we forget about who's really impacted right now. These students who are looking for pipelines to success, looking to fulfill, um, you know, their dreams and hopes. Um, how do you feel like we're doing? I know you and I have had other conversations about higher ed, workforce, how it all fits in place here in Colorado. Of course, we've got um, funding challenges that we hear of from higher ed, wanting to make sure that money coming from the capital is is predictable and secure and, and perhaps growing in the future. Are there any other challenges to your success, Andy, that you would want folks to know in terms of how we can all work together closely to perhaps overcome those in the future? I think our greatest challenge, and you just mentioned this, Debbie, is really identifying the resources necessary to deliver on our promise to our students. In my five years that I've been here, I've seen Colorado continues to be at the bottom of state funding. I think we're 47 out of 50 states in per capita funding for students. And that that's a challenge for us uh, in delivering on that promise to our students, having the resources necessary to be successful and also be affordable. One of the challenges that we have is ensuring that our students can afford to come to college and making sure that we have the resources and tools to provide them with scholarships and aid uh, to make sure that they don't graduate with, with large amounts of debt. And, and the truth is they don't. We have a lot of programs that we rely upon on our campus to ensure that students have the resources they need to be successful. And we also obviously rely on federal and state resources as well. But I guess to answer your question directly, I wish the state would be a little bit more supportive of higher education. They've done a lot in the last couple of years. I'm uh, very pleased with uh, the, the work that uh, our legislators have done and the Joint Budget Committee and the Capital Development Committee. 
but there is still a lot more work to do to provide the type of resources that we need. That compares to other states and our peers in ensuring that all of our students are successful citizens of their states when they graduate. You bet. And I'll put in a plug for that as well, Andy. I think it's tricky. We talk about you know, a competitiveness agenda of how do we keep Colorado competitive? We're, we're competing against other states. And yeah. if our, um, if our state budget priorities don't reflect that, you know, then, then perhaps it's, it's time for a really hard look at that. Uh, I think from, from my perspective and sometimes thinking of my other private sector members, uh, you know, it feels like we keep getting more and more bills. So, so eventually, you know, the money runs out, right? But the priority hasn't been higher ed necessarily in the last decade or so. Well, and I think investing in higher education is, is an investment in Colorado's future. And it's about workforce development and all the many facets of what workforce development looks like. It's not just four-year degrees or graduate degrees, it's credentials and certificates, but ensuring that we have a an educated uh, you know, population of, of students that are going out to the workforce and ensuring that that we have continued economic you know, vibrancy and success is something that certainly I think is a top priority for. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, that's a whole nother podcast we could go into, yeah. which we probably should. But um, I want to thank you both for joining. I'm excited to hear about the students that will be soon coming to UNC uh, to be a part of, of the new uh, initiative. It sounds like it's still a couple of years out before you officially start the first classes. Is that right? Yes. Right now, we're still working on ensuring that we have all the clinical rotations for our students. We're working through the process of eventually becoming accredited with COCA, where uh, we have some time before that occurs. We've got you know a lot of relationship building with our community and also of course fundraising. So it, it's a it's a two hundred million dollar project, one hundred fifty to two hundred million dollar project, and there's a lot of moving parts to ensure its success. And we're confident that it will be very successful. I'm, I'm sure it will be. We'll be we'll definitely put links in the podcast on where folks can contact your office, where they can get involved. Probably more important where they can uh, potentially be financial partners with what you're building. So definitely happy to help spread the word on all of that. We would love that. Thank you very much. <laughs> good, good. So to wrap this up, I don't know if this was on your radar, but we started this lightning round section. We're going to do do it real quick because I know you're pressed for time. Do you have a couple more minutes for the lightning round? Of course we do. Oh, good, good, good. Beth, I'm going to start with you. Um, lightning round. So really quick, what is your favorite binge? It could be a book, a podcast, a Netflix series, something like that. And we just started watching Deep on Netflix, which they just dropped off first series and actually pretty good. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. And Andy, to wrap us up, what is your best advice you ever received to help you get a seat at the table? Best advice would be take a risk. Get out of your comfort zone, try something new, and be unafraid uh, in making mistakes. Yeah, good for you. Well, I love that. I'm going to start compiling all these. So, um, uh, Andy Feinstein. Really what my favorite restaurant was. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Throw it out there. That's your favorite restaurant. Do you have one? I love, there's a restaurant in Greeley called El Poblito on 10th Street. It's a small uh, Mexican restaurant. I think they used to be like a Long John Silver's 25 years ago. I eat there once a week. I love it, and it's uh, it's a great a great place to bring the family and enjoy some some local really nice food. Good, good. That'll be on my list next time I'm in town. That'll be wonderful. Well, I'll take you there. 
Yeah, perfect. Thank you, Thibault, for joining us today. Appreciate the collaboration, as always, on big workforce issues that affect our state. And thank you so much for the time. And we're excited to hear all the great stuff happening at University of Northern Colorado. All right. Thank you. This has been a seat at the table with Debbie Brown with Colorado Business Roundtable. Thanks for joining us. A Seat at the Table with Debbie Brown is a production of the Colorado Business Roundtable. You can find this episode, a listing of our upcoming events, and more information about our organization at cobrt.com.